You ready to do this? I'm ready. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome to another episode of But It Is Rocket Science. That's right. Thanks for hanging out with us. We're so excited to bring you our second episode of our spooky month of episodes. This was a good one. Hannah, do you want to tell everybody what the topic is for today? Yes, I'd love to. So what better way to get in the spooky spirit than by talking about the aliens amongst us? So that's right. This episode is all about Area 51. Gasp! (laughs) Shock! Ah! Yeah, so we thought this would be a fun episode. Ann and I just went through our notes and we had a blast. This is actually really fun. When Hannah first proposed this, I was like, all right, it'll probably be fun. And Hannah really likes this. And sure, why not? (laughs) And then I was researching this and I was like, actually, this was pretty fun. Like, yeah, we, I think we both learned a lot of interesting stuff. I did. And not just like, and not just stuff about alien conspiracies, but just like actually interesting things. Yeah, like actually interesting aerospace technologies, and then some stuff also made us laugh. So yes, we're yeah, it's not all. <laughs> to bring this, don't buckle in you. for a super serious episode. <laughs> okay, do we want to just hop in? Yeah, let's hop in. I'm ready. I've got my coffee. I've got some pumpkin spice whipped cream yes, on it. Yes, <laughs> I. Oh my god, I also have pumpkin spice whipped cream on my coffee. Oh my gosh, twinsies! Where did you buy it? I just got it at the grocery store. I was like. Because I think I realized I like my regular creamer in my coffee, but the whipped cream is perfect because it, really it doesn't is. sweeten it too much, you know? No, I'd say it's a, I did the same thing, exactly how I feel. I was at my parents' house. I'm at my parents' house visiting them. And my mom had it in her fridge. And I was like, they make this? Yeah, it was my first time seeing it at the grocery store, too. I'm super into it. Me, too. I was just going to say, should we introduce ourselves? Yes, let's do it. I'm Anna. And I'm Henna. And this is But, but It Is, is Rocket, Rocket Science. Science. Nice. All right. Please teach me about the history of Area 51, which is a real place. It is. It is a real place. For those of you in the U.S., you probably grew up hearing about the mysterious Area 51, watching about it in movies, hearing about it in scary stories. And for those of you active on Facebook, you may have even joined the 2019 public event called Storm Area 51. They can't stop all of us. <laughs> that apparently had 2 million people sign up. Okay. Uh, Hannah and I both have personal Facebooks. I never saw this. Did you see this? I never saw this either. And I'm actually pretty upset that I didn't see it. I would have sworn that you would have seen it. <laughs> right? <laughs> Because I was like, maybe I saw it and just like my brain was like, nope, and just filtered it out. But I was like, Hannah, if she had saw it, seen it, she would have latched on. You know, that's what I'm wondering. I'm like, where was I in 2019? (laughs) I did. (laughs) If I didn't see this event. You were like, I was waiting. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, Anna. All right. So for those of let's just go back into the episode. So for those of you going, what the heck is Area 51? Well, do we have an episode in store for you? Area 51 
is predominantly known as a secret military base in Nevada. Over the last few decades, it has transformed into a hotbed of rumors and allegations about UFO sightings in the area, as well as the government dissecting alien technology. What a great use of the word hotbed. (laughs) It just came to me. 10 out of 10. Thank you. (laughs) For more information on UFO sightings all over the U.S., check out our episode from two weeks ago. We went into all sorts of different UFO sightings during our Project Blue Book episode. Yes, that one was also really fun. That was. All right, so let's get into some facts. So Area 51's official title is the Nevada Test and Training Range at Groom Lake, Nevada. It is a training range for the U.S. Air Force. It is very well guarded. You cannot trespass. Hence the title of that 2019 Facebook event. Storm Area 51, they can't stop all of us. That's intense. (laughs) Right? These people are braver than I am. So brave. Um, And it's going to become clear later when I start talking about how well guarded it is, why they're so brave. So this 4,800 square miles of airspace was first used by the USCIA, Central Intelligence Agency, in April 1955 for Project Aquatone. I know that's a real thing, but it sounds like a brand of contacts. Oh my gosh, that's right, it does. You know what I mean? Or like face wash? Yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) According to original documentation I found on the online CIA library website, This project was intended to procure planes and equipment for intelligence purposes, aka gathering more information slash spying type of work. So the document that I read even says that under normal circumstances, the U.S. Air Force would directly procure planes from Lockheed. However, because of the purpose and use case, And the sophistication of this aircraft technology, it was a joint project between the Air Force and the CIA. And for these reasons, Area 51 was established. One of the most... Yes. Sorry. So I'm just trying to get it straight in my head. Area 51 was established in in order to inconspicuously procure planes for spy uses that's there's got to be a winter phrase to wait that spy missions yes exactly spy missions spy uses <laughs> spy usage i feel like there's a better word for that i do too but i can't is it, is it what's espionage oh that could be it that sounds that sounds good i'm gonna google it the practice of spying you got it you nailed it nice okay so they were used for espionage to procure right. planes to use for espionage Espionage. (laughs) Espionage. What a cool word. It's a great word. We're expanding our episode. We're expanding our vocabulary. Um, But yeah. Study for the SAT. (laughs) Learn about Area 51. Oh, God. Thank God we're not doing that anymore. Oh, geez. I don't even want to think about it. Um, But yeah, that's exactly why it was established. It was for uh, missions directly for espionage, and they wanted a secret location for it. Gotcha. One of the most notable aircraft tested at Area 51, and one of the major causes of the area being established in the first place, 
was the development of the Lockheed U-2, which was a strategic reconnaissance aircraft. So strategic Mm. reconnaissance aircraft is just a fancy term for spy plane. (laughs) (laughs) And the U-2, it's a pretty cool plane. It flew at a high altitude all day and all night and and during all weather conditions. And it was first flown during the Cold War. So you may be wondering, didn't the Air Force have plenty of space already at one of its bases for testing? Well, like Anna and I just said, because the project was extremely secretive, the project director at the time, Richard Bissell Jr., understood that the flight test and pilot training programs could not be done at Edwards Air Force Base or Lockheed's Palmdale facility. So he did a search, and that's how he found Groom Lake in Nevada. Around the late 1950s and early 1960s, Lockheed started directing more construction at the Area 51 site. I just, I wonder what goes through somebody's head when they're like, I would like to find a place to hide my spy planes. (laughs) Right? Like, how do you, like, what are the requirements are you looking for besides remote? I think, number one, they probably feel really cool because they're in a secret club. That's true. (laughs) They probably do feel really cool. Step one, done. Step one. (laughs) Um, And yeah, that's a really good question. I guess you just want like tons and tons of free airspace. I guess so. I I guess so. Yeah. And then also at that time, you didn't have Google Maps or Google Earth where you could just be like, okay, what area is pretty free? Like, this is some real word of mouth research times you know do you think he like asked people or was he just pick a random midwest state was like nevada's probably got room you know that's a good question (laughs) i don't know i don't know how with the how you whittle that down but who knows either way sorry please continue no problem all right so around the late 1950s early 1960s lockheed started directing more construction at the area 51 site This was specifically for Project Oxcart, which entailed testing of the Lockheed A-12 plane, which is another super sleek looking high altitude reconnaissance plane. And this is actually around the time that the Nevada Test and Training Range at Groom Lake got the name Area 51. However, I couldn't find any sources that showed exactly how the name came to be, that nickname Area 51. But it was around this time. Yeah, Yeah. right? I was hoping it would have like a cool story. Yeah, it was just kind of like there were some references to it being called Project 51. And then maybe the A came from the A-12 plane. um, But Uh, I couldn't find something exactly. No good juicy story. Yeah. Bummer. Right. So around this time, and for the decades following afterwards, a lot of government-led science, engineering, and testing had gone on in Area 51. This includes the work on the D-21 tag board, which was a drone aircraft. This also includes testing of Soviet-captured aircraft, which started in the 1960s and had been going on for decades after. Um, Also, the Lockheed Have Blue stealth fighter plane was tested at Area 51, Have Blue was a code name for a prototype of a stealth bomber plane. Um, and I would recommend checking out the images of this plane on Google. It looks really cool up close. And 
the view from under the plane, there's some pictures of the view from under the plane, and it really looks just like a paper airplane. So I'm not familiar with this plane. So when you first said that sentence with in the, the Lockheed have blue, I was like, that doesn't make any sense grammatically. Like, did what's going on there? And I didn't realize that was the name of the plane. Yeah, it took me a second when I read that. I was like, wait, why are why are the H and the B capitalized? Oh, it's the code name for the plane. I was like, why does she just have the word have in there? Like, what what is that supposed to be? <laughs> yeah, I was like, how did this name even come to be? But this is an, an episode of the Have Blue Plane, so I didn't go too much into it. I don't blame you. <laughs> I'm going to have to Google it, though, so I can see what it looks like. Yeah, it looks pretty nifty. So you're probably wondering at this point, If this program was so secretive, why do we know so much about it? Well, back in 2005, Dr. Jeffrey Richelson, a fellow at the George Washington University National Security Archives, submitted a Freedom of Information Act request for information about the U-2 program. This information request led the CIA to declassify documents on the history of the U-2 and A-12 programs and Area 51 in general. What's also wild is that this request was submitted in 2005, but the public only got access to the information in 2013, only seven years ago. Whoa. Yeah. That's crazy. It's crazy. And it's going to get super interesting when Anna gets into her section about all the conspiracies surrounding Area 51. It's like, it makes sense why there are so many, because it's had so much time You know, it's had like decades of time to brew like these secrets and these rumors. Yep. People have had so much time to come up with stuff. Exactly. Exactly. And this, and just a reminder, this facility was established 70 years ago. So we just got public information about the actual research that went on seven years ago. That's nuts. I think it also has some to stem with the fact that when it was established in 1955, like the internet didn't exist. And so any information people had about it was word of mouth, which probably led even further into this like conspiracy soup. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Because it's a game of telephone. So it gets morphed and morphed, like the message gets morphed and morphed as it gets from person to person. Exactly. Okay. And then, you know, some people glamorize their story, make it sound a little cooler. Yeah, like a little bit of exaggeration and by every person <laughs> leads you to wilder rumors. Exactly. Man, what an interesting study in human psychology. Yeah, it is fascinating. Even today, the physical Area 51 itself is an, imp- an impenetrable fortress. There are huge fences, signs, cameras. It's desolate but armed. Security is allowed to use deadly force on anyone who tries to enter the confines of this area. I think you can actually see pictures of the outside and see how armed it is. Yeah. So that's why. You can see all the signage. Yes, exactly. Thank you, Hannah. Like when you, that's why when that Facebook event, like they can't stop all of us. I was like, all right, well, they'll try. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think they'd have to try very hard. No, I didn't think so either. (laughs) Um, So since 1955, 
the Air Force has continually bought more property around Area 51. There are millions of acres of free airspace for testing above it. Area 51 employees actually took flights. I found this really fun. Area 51 employees actually took flights to get to work regularly because it's a middle of nowhere base site. So they would take flights from the Las Vegas airport to get to Area 51 oh, on a regular basis. I bet they probably didn't even have housing for anybody who didn't need to live there. Yeah. They had a they did have quite a sizable number of employees, but I'm wondering if a lot of them stayed near to Vegas because it was a more uh, popular town. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Because the closest, I mean, this will come up later, but like there's some small towns around it, but some of them have populations of like 60 people. Yeah. Which there are more people who live in my apartment building (laughs) than the population of some of those towns. That's such a good point. Yeah, it's just like, I don't even know. Do they, do those towns even have the capacity to house all those people? Exactly. Like the infrastructure to do that. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't know either. But I wouldn't, I don't know. I like to fly, not in the middle of a pandemic, but in regular times when, you know, you can travel and you can get your little pretzels and your soda or seltzer water. That's right. I don't know if I'd want to do that every day. No, but maybe it would be manageable if it was like a pretty short flight. Yeah, I guess if it was also just like you, the a private plane, you know what I mean? You're not like, oh, yeah, definitely. Fight, like waiting in line to board and whatever cheap ticket I bought section. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's such a good point. All right. So let's see. So one of the more one of the sadder facts about Area 51 was that in the 1990s, Area 51 workers and employees reported hazardous working conditions to lawyer Jonathan Turley. The employee spoke about how the working conditions at Area 51 exposed them to hazardous waste and materials leading to skin diseases and respiratory illnesses. What's even sadder is that this report definitely violated federal law because employees were getting sick without knowing what they were exposed to, but because of the government program's level of classification and secrecy, Area 51 was not held responsible, so they just got away with it. What blows my mind is that this was the 90s. Right. When not Hannah that f- long ago. No. When Hannah first told me this, I was like, was this in the 60s when like laws protecting workers weren't really that strong because we didn't necessarily and we didn't we didn't necessarily understand how important that was and we didn't know that much about all these dangerous chemicals this was the 90s i feel like we should know better yeah right that's awful i think a, a very like common theme in our episodes has been how recent some of these findings or some of these like crazy facts have been yes and i mean that'll even That'll continue with my section as well. But yeah, I was like, that was probably like 1960. Nope. Nope. (laughs) It was yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, time, I've completely lost all ability to understand time. Oh, yeah. Pandemic. So maybe it was. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Another crazy fact is that before Google Maps, or any sort of satellite imaging for maps, the government tried to erase any sort of indication of Area 51 on maps. Even satellite manufacturers were told by the U.S. government that they were not allowed to take any pictures within the range of Area 51's location. 
but I found this in a podcast episode about Area 51. It's a podcast called Conspiracy Theories. <laughs> Was that and recommended to you or did you search it out? I actually searched it out <laughs> years ago, Anna. <laughs> and then I like rediscovered it. You know when you forget about a TV show or oh, a podcast and then years later you rediscover it and you want to go listen? I rediscovered it because of our episode. Nice. Perfect. But yeah, it's a really well done podcast and they have some really good research about Area 51. So if you want even more information, I would highly recommend checking out their podcast. But all right, so getting back to the information. In 1974, a U.S. government satellite accidentally took an image of Area 51 when they were told that the, they were specifically told that the only place on the planet that they couldn't take a photo was Area 51. So they could image the whole world. They could go crazy, but they could not take an image of Area 51. Which really makes you wonder, what else are they hiding? I just... Spooky. I'm not... Hannah and I were talking about this earlier. I am obviously not a government official in charge of anything like this. But why? I don't know. I don't, when you tell people, like, if you give somebody a button and you're like, don't push the button, you're going to want more than anything in the entire world to push that button. So but, true. At least right? I will. Like, if you tell people there's this place, you can't image it, you can't see it, people are just going to assume even more so that you're doing crazy stuff. Yeah. Like, and the adrenaline seekers are definitely going to come after it. Oh, 100%. So I wouldn't, I don't know, the way I would have played this... I'm speaking like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's like, why wouldn't you have just put up like an inconspicuous office park building? Like you could have an airstrip. I don't think that would be that crazy. You know, oh, yeah. be like, I don't know. This is just another airplane testing facility. There are so many of those just like giant white yes. office you go, park. You go to buildings. LA, which is the hub of aerospace. And they have like, all these defense contractors working on super secretive technology. You've got Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, all these office parks so close together. And who knows what they're like working on, you know? And you don't even think about it because you're just like, all right, that's another boring building. <laughs> exactly. Let's go to the beach. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's a good question. I I was telling Anne, I was like, maybe they just wanted to feel cool and needed a needed it to be secretive, <laughs> just to feel cool. We've all been there. But yeah, it's a good question. It's a it's like yeah, I wonder what they um why they what did the that. strategy was there. Strategy. Yeah. That's a good word. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, so to close out my section before we get to more good stuff by Anna, we're probably wondering, whatever happened to that Facebook event? Well, 200 of the almost 2 million people that signed up. Um, and it's not surprising that that 2 million dwindled down to around 200 because it's so difficult to penetrate that base. Also, I don't know, have you ever tried to have a, something where you invite people you actually know to a per- Facebook event you're having, like a party, and you can still only get half of the people who accepted to show up? <laughs> so true. <laughs> so it's not that surprising. But 200 people did show up to Area 51. And three people got arrested. One for, 
uh, alcohol-related reason, one for indecent exposure, and one for crossing the no-entry sign. That person, I think that one was the bravest, in my opinion, the one who actually crossed one of the no-entry signs. I like the guy who showed up and somehow got arrested for alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) Right. Oh, man. Mm. Yeah, I actually found an article when I I was reading it this morning a little bit. Just called, I stormed Area 51, and it was even weirder than I imagined. It's in The Guardian, so I think this has some... Oh my god, it's the morning, and I completely forgot how to use words. Le- credibility. Le- credibility, there you go. I think there's some credibility to it. It's by someone named J. Oliver Conroy, and it was published September of 2019. It's just actually a really interesting article, and I would recommend you check it out. He talks about basically how this one guy made the event i'm trying to figure out what his name was maddie roberts initially made the event and he made it as a joke because i guess oh my gosh yeah that's hilarious i thought so too so he made it as a joke it turned it like within i think within a day a million people were already accepted it that's amazing that blows my mind and so the fbi called him and was like hey man you can't do that and so his plan was like all right we're gonna turn it into a festival yeah yeah i heard about this festival i read about it it was referenced somewhere but i think it got banned yeah i don't think it happened yeah or it broke up because i read a article about something called the alien stock festival i don't know if it was the same one i'm sure there's plenty of festivals surrounding area 51 oh completely Um, yeah but the alien stock festival was banned due to infrastructure reasons. But anyway, this article, if you're interested or just, it's actually just a good read, whether or not you are interested in Area 51 or not, it's just a good read. We'll link it in our sources. Yeah, I find it so amazing that 200 people showed up, you know? That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. But also it's like not so surprising because on the spectrum of believers, there's always that, you know, in any spectrum, there's the extreme end. And there's going to be people who are hardcore believers that there's something hiding there. And they have to find out what it is. Oh, completely. The other interesting thing I read in this article, because I just assumed it was going to be the hardcore, the only the hardcore believers who showed up. Mm-hmm. This this guy, Oliver Conroy, J. Oliver Conroy, mentions that there were like, two camps of people there were like the hardcore believers and there was also what seems like the influencers the youtube stars the instagrammers who were like living it and streaming it trying to like you know do like a sensational thing for views you know that is not surprising you know it didn't occur to me until i read it i was like oh you know what i can see that yeah because it's like something that is a very popular topic in pop culture (laughs) it would be the definition yeah. of clickbait, I think, right? Ex- yes, definitely. It would definitely be a source of more views. Completely. Completely. Wow. That was awesome, huh? Thanks, Anna. I'm excited to hear about more conspiracies uh, when we get to you. I'm so excited, but I'm just going to go grab a little bit more coffee first. Yes, me too. All, All right, right. So we'll be back after this break.
All right, we're back. I got my coffee. We're back. I microwaved some of the rest of my coffee. <laughs> I did that thing where I like poured more hot coffee into it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I made one of those mini French presses. So cute. I, I'm just like working through it. But you know how it cools down. It, I know a French press isn't very good at holding heat. Like it's that's not... why the drip is nice. So I have. I'm at home, so my mom's got like a big drip coffee pot, mm-hmm. and. We had, I had a little bit of a traumatic event. So last night I was like, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be smart and I'm going to set up the coffee pot so that in the morning I can just take go. Yeah. I pour all the water into it and then there's a dead spider floating on top of the water. Oh no. And it was so gross. It was so gross. It was so gross. Oh God. That's actually one of my fears because in the apartment right now, there's drain flies. You know, those little Ew, bugs yes. that get everywhere and they love water. And sometimes I'll do that. I'll fill the coffee pot up the night before and then i get really nervous i'll take my cell phone light to the water to double check but like that's one of my fears so it's good that you caught it you know it was gross so gross um so did you see it in the coffee or did you see it it in the water section of the coffee pot it was just in the water reservoir so it's not like a true (sighs) dramatic event dramatic event it was just gross so I like fished it out and then I was like, I didn't want to drink coffee with that water. It probably would have been fine. I was like, well, it gets heated up. I was like, it's still too gross for me, but I didn't want to throw the water out. So I ran it through the coffee pot with no coffee and then poured it into a big bowl. So then pour into a plant when it cools down. Oh, Anna, that's so great. Thank you. Thank you. But I was like, I don't want I'm to so drink proud this. Of you. <laughs> I was like, I was like, how do I problem solve this? <laughs> and now I have coffee and I am ready to talk to you all about Everyone's area f- favorite Area 51 conspiracy, Roswell. Yes. Spooky. I am so ready. I am too. I did not know really much of anything about Roswell. I just know that if you type in Area 51, Roswell is one of the first things to come up. And it's there's like it's become such a huge deal in pop culture. There are multiple Roswell TV shows. It's a huge deal. So you can't talk about Area 51 conspiracies without mentioning Roswell. So we're just going to start there. Sounds great. The Roswell UFO incident, which is commonly considered to be the most famous UFO claim, all started in 1947. If that sounds familiar to you, that was the same year Kenneth Arnold reported seeing nine objects flying in tandem near Mount Rainier. That was on June 24th, 1947. And so that is exactly what I talked about in our previous Project Blue Book episode. That's right. Sometime between mid-June and early July 1947, in Roswell, New Mexico, a rancher named W.W. or Mac Brazel was walking with his eight-year-old son, Vernon, and found wreckage of some sort of aircraft on the property of the J.B. Foster Ranch, which he operated in Lincoln County, New Mexico. This is about 75 miles outside of Roswell. Something I would like to note here, the History.com article I read and will cite in the sources says Brazel owned this property, but I don't think he did. UFOlogy.net has a scan and transcript of an article from the July 9th, 1974 issue of the Roswell Daily, and in it he says he operated the ranch. So I do not Uh, think he owned it. I think he operated it, like he lived on the property and operated it. Yeah, he was like a property manager. Exactly, good word for it. Another thing I want to point out... The news article says Brazel and his son found the wreckage on June 14th. However, later in in an official press release from the Roswell Army Airfield, or the RAFF, actually that's the RAAF, I messed up typing it, 
released on July 8th. The date is stated as sometime last week, which would mean sometime in July. I don't know what ah. the correct date is. And so actually, if you read about it, it's commonly reported as sometime in June or July. Okay. Yes. As I touched upon, and we have an entire episode on, again, UFO sightings were all over the news at this time in U.S. history. Meaning, That's right. Oh, they were a big deal. Meaning that when Brazel saw the wreckage, which consisted of rubber strips, tin foil, thick paper, he jumped to the possibility of it being extraterrestrial, because that is what he had been hearing about in the news. Oh, yeah. Around that time, there were over 12,000 UFO sightings. So it was a really hot topic in the news. Oh, completely. So he gathered a sample of the wreckage and brought it to the Roswell Sheriff George Wilcox, which I thought was a very responsible way to handle that. Yeah. And this is not related at all, but I hear people ask this question all the time. And it's me, so I have to go on some kind of completely unrelated tangent. (laughs) In the U.S., a sheriff is elected to their position, except in New York City, Rhode Island, and Hawaii. And they're responsible for a county. A police chief is appointed by local government and manages law enforcement in the city or town. So the sheriff is elected, and if you live in the U.S., is a representative you can vote for. I didn't realize, you know, that distinction, that a sheriff is elected yeah. until you said that. I thought it was, I was like, oh, I get, people ask this question all the time. I think this is important tidbit to throw in here. Yeah, and you'll see, like, in movies, the sheriff gets out of his car, and you're like, how important is a sheriff, really? Well, apparently, you elected them, so. Yeah, that's my favorite one, the sheriff's an awful guy. I was like, why'd you elect this guy? Had they elected, everybody in the town seems to hate him. Like, vote. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, go out and vote, everybody. Please vote. Back on track. Brazel brought a sample. That's hard to say. Brazel brought a sample to Sheriff Wilcox, who then brought it to Colonel William Blanchard. It's one of those words that was like colonial. Uh, yeah, right? It's Colonel. Like, like Yosemite. Sometimes Yosemite. I'll see it as Yosemite. <laughs> I have to stop myself every time in my head and be like, Colonel. Colonel. Yeah, same. Colonel William Blanchard, the commanding officer of the, RA- of the RAAF at the time. Now we're getting to that press release I mentioned. The next day, July 8th, 1947, the RAAF released a statement saying the following. This is a direct quote. The many rumors regarding the flying disc became a reality yesterday when the intelligence office of the 509th Bomb Group of the 8th Air Force, Roswell Army Airfield, was fortunate enough to gain possession of a disc through the cooperation of one of the local ranchers in the sheriff's office of Chavez County. So, yeah, you heard that right. The U.S. Army confirmed that it was a UFO. That's incredible. Yeah. That... I cannot believe that happened. I literally read that because I didn't know anything about the Roswell conspiracy, except that people claim aliens landed there. I didn't right. realize that the government actually confirmed. Like, I don't want, I don't want to say confirmed because confirmed makes it sound like it was a UFO. Stated in an official release that it was a UFO. Yeah. To the American public. I love the concept of aliens and alien technology, but I never went so far to research this stuff until now. And yeah, the idea of the U.S. Army, the government, confirming that it was a UFO, mind-boggling. Blew my mind. Yeah. So 
The next day, the Roswell Daily Record ran a story titled, RAAF Captures Flying Saucer on Ranch in Roswell Region. If you're interested and you want to see a scan of the original article, there will be a link in the sources to a Wired.com article I used that has one. Also, that article is just really good if you're interested. Sweet. So, unsurprisingly, the U.S. Army quickly reversed their claim of a flying disc and instead stated that the debris was from a weather balloon. I could not imagine having to be the people to deal with that. <laughs> right? But it's just like they really wanted to keep it secret. Yeah. And they went so far as to just duping the public for a brief period of time. I just, I think that, I don't know if they really did think it was a UFO. Like, I'm going to get into this later, so I don't want to spoil it now. But okay. I genuinely think the perp- the first people who did the investigation were also not, they were not impervious to the UFO craze at the time, you know? Yeah. And if it was a project that the, the Army or the Air Force or the government was working on that they didn't know about, I feasibly think they did think it was a UFO. And then I think when that news got out and articles were published and other branches of the government saw it, they were like, whoa, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... That's um, a good point, because the Army was separate from the Air Force and the CIA. You're, it's a good point. The Uf, the Air Force and the CIA do most of these super secret projects that I know of. I don't know. Yeah. But, anyway, um, continually. So, unsurprisingly, the U.S. Army quickly reversed their claim. They actually provided pictures of Major Marcel, who was an intelligence officer who oversaw the initial investigation, as proof. So, they provided pictures of him with the debris. They also had a press conference held by the RAAF where, deb- where debris from the crash was held up to the camera. This included stuff like foil, rubber, and wood. An article published on July 9th, 1947 in the Corsicana Daily Sun was titled, this is just funny to me, <laughs> Disc Craze Continues, Army Disc Outs, so D-I-S-K, dash, <laughs> O-U-N-T-S, New Mexico Find as Weather Gear. And then further down the page, there was another headline that said, Lost purse holding diamonds is found, but money is missing. So that must have been an exciting few days in Corsicana. (laughs) I was like, what's going on here? (laughs) I love... (laughs) I just love how even in 1947, like, they still were coming up. They were coming up back then with, like, crazy... Ways to make headlines attractive. Army discounts discounts New Mexico find as weather gear. That made me laugh so hard. And then later down that page, like, lost diamonds found. Oh, God. I thought dumb headlines were just a thing of today, but nope. Nope. Oh, no. Oh, no. They have a, ha- they have a history of their own. That original clickbait. <laughs> they do. That is right. The original clickbait. So more or less, the public believed the story. And that was kind of that. Wow, yeah. I mean, at that time, what else can you do? Yeah, right? So they got it, and they believed it. Wow. Wait, so... um, Wait, so if that's it, what does that have to do with Area 51? All the TV shows say that aliens crashed at Roswell. Okay, so that was my question, too. I was reading about this, I was like, great. The public believed them, and we're done. (laughs) How did we get here? For decades, everyone had all but forgotten about Roswell, until the late 1970s when nuclear, physici- when nuclear physicist Stanton, Stanton T. Friedman stumbled onto the story. He was convinced that the Roswell crash had been an alien spacecraft with the alien bodies inside 
and that the U.S. government was covering it up and studying the bodies at Area 51. Friedman actually went so far to refer to it as a cosmic water gate, <laughs> which is just That's, like a lot. <laughs> it's so dramatic. Dramatic is the perfect term for that. Like, okay, oh, reel it in. Like, you got a lot of feelings about this. We can all see that. <laughs> cosmic Watergate is a little bit of a jump. <laughs> so ridiculous. It made me laugh so hard. So, what? something I just kind of want to mention is... Actually, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to say the slides first. Stanton, along with UFO researchers William Moore, Carl T... It's P-F-L-O-C-K. Flock and a team of Kevin D. Randall and Donald R. Schmidt interviewed hundreds of people who claimed to have a connection to the Roswell crash. And actually, in 1978, Stanton interviewed Brazel. Remember him? He was the man who found the wreckage. And so from what I found, most of these people who claimed to have been connected to Roswell were connected but were so many points removed. So, like, they say they know somebody who says 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 they know, says, says they know somebody who says they saw the wreckage in person. Mm. Like, it's so yeah. far removed. Again, it's just another game of telephone. Yeah. But either way, this really kind of ignited, it caused an uproar in the public about Roswell and Area 51. And I think part of the reason why people were so convinced that it was a cover-up is even when you look at the story. Like, for example, the dates aren't really clear. And I think that might be because at the time, they probably weren't taking notes super seriously, right? They were like, some guy found some wreckage on a ranch in a desert in New Mexico. Like, I'm sure when they first brought that stuff in, they weren't like, we got to take super great notes about when all this happened because it's going to be a huge deal. Like, I'm sure nobody was thinking about it. And it's not like today when we have the internet or text messages and a million different ways to find timestamps for stuff. Yeah, that's right. Like, they couldn't just scroll through their phone to figure out when they got a phone call or when they got a text about alien sightings. Exactly. There were no receipts. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, I'm sure that's part of the reason why the dates were confused. And then the other thing is that the government, the the army basically said, yes, it's real, and then immediately the U.S. government boomed back on that. So it's almost just, like, exactly what conspiracy theorists want. It's got all the things. Oh, yeah. They live for that stuff. They're like, oh. why is the government boomeranging about this? Exactly. There's got to be a reason. There's got to be a reason. And so, in 1980, Charles Burlix and William Moore published a book titled The Roswell Incident. They also wrote a book about the Bermuda Triangle, among other things. You can actually buy this book. You can buy a hardcover copy of this book on Amazon for $14.28. What a deal. (laughs) What a deal. (laughs) It claims to, direct quote, probe the bizarre government cover-up that began within hours of the discovery and has continued right up to the present day. Or, I guess, 1980 when this was published. But, yeah. So, you could buy that book. Fascinating. (laughs) It really is. Rumors of the conspiracy became so prominent in American popular culture that the government actually published a report clarifying the events. So this became such a big deal that the government wrote a report that came in at nearly a thousand pages. That's incredible. Yeah. And it contained many documents that were previously classified. Wow. In the end, the Roswell report 
Fact versus Fiction in the New Mexico Desert was published in 1994, which again was not that long ago. This is fascinating. Like the from the 19 late 1950s to now we're seeing 1994 is when this report was published. The government was so involved in writing reports about UFO sightings and it's just incredible, you know, like how much effort government effort was put into this it was a thousand pages to the point that we're gonna i'm gonna link to a pdf in our sources one of the pdfs took a really long time for my computer to be able to open it had that's crazy it was so big yeah to the point that i was like is this gonna give me a weird virus (laughs) but i didn't (laughs) download it pages so i have that going for me (laughs) oh my gosh that's as long as a few phd dissertations i know i know my (laughs) master's thesis was a hundred pages and that was a big deal This is 10 times longer than that. Oh my gosh. But a direct quote from the introduction states that the purpose of this report was to tell the Congress and the American people everything the Air Force knew about the Roswell claims. So you can also buy this as a book, but you can also, we'll link to a PDF version. As I said, um, it takes a really long time to open, so beware. This version was actually released by the headquarters United States Air Force, The Headquarters, United States Air Force. That's how it's written. I'm sure there's a reason for that, but that's how they wrote it. In 1995. This version just looks more like a book and less like a typewritten report. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's the only difference. Um, On page IX, there's a guide to the reader, which states that this contains two reports. The Roswell Incident by Colonel Richard L. Weaver and the synopsis of balloon research findings by First Lieutenant James McAndrew. So I think it's a combination of two separate reports. But in the report, the Air Force admitted that the weather balloon report had been false, and that the wreckage was from a project that at the time was top secret, called Project Mogul. So I think this explains why the RAAF, so the Army in Roswell that army base in roswell didn't know what that was because they probably weren't even told yeah a lot of top secret projects just because you're in the military doesn't mean you get to learn about them that's true and it's not like they could just email and be like hey is this something we should keep secret (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's such a good point right so they probably didn't know i don't think they were lying i think they just genuinely thought it was a ufo yeah So Project Mogul used high-altitude balloons equipped with microphones, which were designed to float incognito over what at the time was the USSR, detecting sound waves. The goal of this was to monitor when the USSR was doing nuclear testing. Very interesting. Yes, so they were spy balloons. Yes, and that makes sense why it was so secretive and they couldn't disclose that. Well, they couldn't tell the American public that this was a device they were testing to spy on the USSR. Right. So they lied, and they said they were weather balloons. Something I would just like to note here, Hannah kind of mentioned it, is that the Cold War was going on at this point, so tensions between the U.S. and the USSR were high. Yeah, that's right. A uh, quick recap. The reason why Area 51 was established was to test the U-2 plane, which was first flown in the Cold War. Exactly. Sorry, I, used, I was like, ah, oh, Hannah's going to talk for a second. I can try to drink some coffee really quick. Okay. You would think this would be the end of that, but of course, it wasn't. In 1995, a British musician, record, and film producer, Ray Santilli, 
I don't know, <laughs> I don't think he's a scientist at all, but apparently he released footage which was supposedly of an alien autopsy, which Santelli claimed had been taken from a U.S. taken from a U.S. military official shortly after the Roswell crash. I have some questions about this. Like, I don't think their camera technology was tip-top in 1947. Right. Like, I'm sure they had them. But I don't know if it was just footage you could get easily. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it would probably have to be some kind of film that was passed on and preserved. Right. Which and is then, uh, something you can do, but I don't think it would get to this guy. And, like, right. And you're making a good point. What would be the resolution at I, this time? Like, if you're seeing just a blurry blob and someone is hovering next to the blurry blob, you can definitely say, call it an alien autopsy, I guess. Like, yeah, I didn't watch it. I didn't, I didn't even want it. I didn't want that to be in my Google recommendations. I didn't want to type that in. I was like, please don't tag me to this. Apparently a comedy movie was actually made about this years later called Alien Autopsy, so I would watch that. I bet that's funny. But this caused another uproar in the public, and the Air Force published a second report called The Roswell Report, Case closed. <laughs> I just read as like, we're really done with this. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> we regret lying to you about it in the first place because we're way too tired of dealing with this. <laughs> it's thought that the rumors of aliens came from the fact that dummies or mannequins were commonly used in Air Force balloon tests. In the 1997 report, the Air Force stated that, and this is a quote, aliens observed in the New Mexico desert were actually anthropomorphic test dummies that were carried aloft by U.S. Air Force high-altitude balloons for scientific research. Anthropomorphic just means human-like. So, I found a really interesting article called A Roswell Requiem. It was published in 2003 by B.D. Gildenberg in The Skeptical Inquirer, Volume 10, Issue 1. We'll link it in our sources. This is a journal. The Skeptical Inquirer is a journal. I had to check. Wow. I was like, is it a magazine? It made me think of, oh my God, as much as I am kind of mad at J.K. Rowling. Do you remember Rita Skeeter from Harry Potter? Yes. And she would write in that like sensational gossip magazine or whatever. Yes. I can't remember what that was called. This is a real journal, but that's just what it made me think of. So in the article, Gildenberg discusses having worked on Project Mogul. I was desperately trying to find an actual biography for this guy. All I could find was like a little author blurb paragraph with on the Skeptical Inquirer website in which that he states he also worked on another top secret government project called Skyhook. And in that blurb, it also stated that he was a cryptographer in the World War II Pentagon. Fascinating. But I don't, I can't confirm any of this. Yeah. So I don't know. But this article, what I read of it, was really good. It was just interesting to read. It's, it's He's a good writer. But it doesn't read like a journal article. It reads like a magazine article. Mm. He essentially goes on to discuss Project Mogul and to, quote, and to quote, it says, The Roswell incident was one of the worst candidates ever proposed as proof of alien visitation. <laughs> Which just made me laugh. <laughs> you see what I mean? It sounds like a magazine article. Yeah. Um, he actually ended up writing a second article called Defense of a Roswell Requiem. So in the same journal, he wrote another article defending his first article. Because a man named Robert Shearer, who I could find nothing about, wrote an article in the same journal 
reviewing Gildenberg's article. He agreed that aliens did not land at Roswell, but disagreed that the alien bodies were anthropomorphic dummies from the Air Force. So, I just made him laugh. I was like, oh, there's some drama. Oh my gosh. <laughs> More drama. More drama, calling out other people. Right. But yeah. Yeah. So, in summary, the town of Roswell has turned into a huge tourist destination. They have the International UFO Museum and Research Center and the Roswell UFO Festival. Despite the fact that the military continues to ascertain that the Roswell incident was caused by a combination of the UFO frenzy and Cold War secrecy, there is still a large contingency of people who believe aliens crash-landed on Earth in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. I personally do believe that aliens are out there. But I do not believe they crash-landed in Roswell, New Mexico. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's up to you. Definitely. All up to you. It's up to you. <laughs> but I had a lot of fun with this one, because I did not know most of this. Yeah, Anna, great job. I loved all the information you shared. Thank you. On that note, do you want to tell people where they can find us? Yeah. All right, so you can find us at our Instagram at but it is rocket science. On Twitter, um, our handle is at but it is RS. You can find us on our Facebook page, which is titled but it is rocket science. You can also listen to us at any of your favorite podcast sources. And please, you would totally make our week if you left us a comment on our but it is rocket science.com website we have a contact us page let us know what you think of our episodes let us know if you have any episode ideas we'd love to hear from you and you'd make our month if you left us a review on apple podcasts oh my god yes please let us know if you liked spooky month yes we'll do it again next year definitely we had so much fun and we hope you did too oh seriously all right should we get into our sources anna let's do it. You want me to go first? Yes, please. Okay. So again, I started off with my favorite springboard, Wikipedia, for the Roswell UFO incident. I then ended up on businessinsider.com for an article about the real story of Area 51. Again, I went to Wikipedia just for the difference between a police chief and a sheriff (laughs) so I could get the official definition. I used that Wired.com article all about Roswell, New Mexico and the UFO sighting. That was really interesting. I And then I went to webarchive.com of ufology.net to get that scan of another article from the Roswell Daily. Amazon.com if you want to buy The Roswell Incident by Charles Berlitz. And then I have a PDF of the Roswell Report and then a PDF again of the second one, the Roswell Report case closed. Britannica about when the Cold War started, so Britannica.com about when the Cold War officially started. The Wikipedia page on Ray Santilli. What is this? Oh, I have a Roswell Requiem, and then a defense of a Roswell Equiem, a defense of a Roswell Requiem, and I believe that's all I have. Fabulous. All right, so my sources were... Um, Also a few Wikipedia pages, so I used the Wikipedia page for Area 51, for the A12, for the U2, and Have Blue. And I also used a Time 
article about Area 51 history. I used a history.com article, a history.com article about what goes on at Area 51. I used the CIA.gov library for Project Aquatone, which was that first project that kicked off Area 51, and the Conspiracy Theories podcast. I'll have that linked in our sources as well. And I also used facts.net for a general facts page on Area 51. All right. Should we close it out? Let's do it. Until next time, Space Cadets. T minus three, two, one, liftoff. <laughs>